Welcome to Unlimited Parenting, where we discuss having children with disabilities or special health care needs. I'm Allison, and with me today is a very special and esteemed guest, Kate Christensen. Kate is the chair. <laughs> Thank you. Coming in hot with the enthusiasm. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. I'm excited. So a little bit about Kate right off the bat. Kate is the chair of IPOL's board, and she's here today to give us a little bit of her time to tell us her story. So again, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I am the mom of three little boys. Um, Max is my oldest. He's 11 now. Ben is 10, and Samuel is 8. And um, we started this whole process in the very... Let's see, Maxie was born in 2011, and what happened was is I got pregnant really quick, and um, after he was born with Benjamin, um, and I had my first two babies within a year of each other, oh. and uh, slightly overwhelming. Uh, like I said, it was a surprise to all of us, um, but... I was in the midst of a chaotic life of raising these two little boys at the time um, and being a stay-at-home mom, which I had never done before. I had a job outside of the home for (laughs) a lot of years before that. And then after we had these two little boys back-to-back, I just kind of wanted to be at home with them, and we made it work. So when Max was one, Ben was born... And then the next year or the 18-month checkup for Max, um, he still wasn't talking. Um, We didn't didn't know if that was just, you know, just a delay of some kind. He had done, you know, they'd done all those checklists. Oh, yeah. We had the, you know, the little papers they give you where is your child giving you eye contact or is your kiddo stacking things and you know did he crawl at what time when did he crawl or when did he pull himself up and he was he was checking all of the you know right on the marker for everything he he was early for everything we you know he was crawling at like three months he was walking at eight months wow. um, he got all of his, he got all of his teeth like even the two-year molars before his first birthday he was destined um, to be first. <laughs> he was just go from the beginning. And so when they asked me if he had been talking, he, I was like, well, actually, he doesn't really, he just makes noises. He doesn't really use words yet. And he's my first baby and, you know, my first experience as a mom. And I was like, I don't know, like, is this typical? Like, what does this look like? He said, well, I want to send him to a speech therapist. And maybe just do an evaluation. I was like, okay, sure, sounds great. So we go to the speech eval, and she said, I believe that he is nonverbal. And I'm like, this is a 15 minute conversation. No. Yeah. Like, and I was like, okay, well, nonverbal. I'm like, he makes a lot of noises. Like, I don't, I was still very, very new to this world. I had no idea what I was supposed to be. Like looking out for, I I just was like, okay, well, I'm going to try and trust this person, this stranger I just met, you know. Um, essentially, uh, I said, well, I said, she, she's like, I want him to come back in and do 
you know, speech therapy. So I was like, all right, well, at the time, we didn't have my husband's work insurance. We were paying for private insurance through Blue Cross Idaho. And each session was $145. Oh, my goodness. And they were, yeah, they were 30-minute sessions. And my pediatrician, still, I think back um, to this day, after now knowing all the things that I know, no one recommended infant, infant toddler. No one recommended developmental screening. Nobody asked for, you know, Katie Beckett, um, Medicaid. Nobody said anything, like absolutely nothing. So I didn't even know any of that existed either. So I'm like, okay, $145 for a 30-minute session. All right, let's, we'll figure it out, right? We were a single family, in, you know, income at that time. I was like, we'll make it work. And we struggled. Like that was a lot of money to pay once a week. And she was like, I want to do two sessions a week. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, only if you how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, did I pick the wrong career? Like, I, I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, I'm not going to pay this much money. Our insurance wasn't, at the time, wasn't covering any of that. So we just were just completely beside ourselves. So then we get to the two-year checkup. Like I said, we had, I think we were doing once a week, so we were trying. Like I mean, we were scraping by at that point. To this money was coming from somewhere. I don't even know when I look back on it. Um, and so we finally we get to the two year screening, and we the doctor's like, okay, he's still not talking. I still want him to go to speech therapy. I'm like, okay, I can't afford this. Like this is astronomical. Still, no mention of infant toddler, no mention of Katie Beckett, nothing. He's like, well, he needs it. Like, you're just going to have to do it. And I was like, <sighs> okay. I have no idea. Like, absolutely no clue. Um, so we're, we're like, okay, well, we have to go down to once a month. So this is $145 a session. So we did that. And then my husband actually... So he, he works for a furniture company up here. He, he's the operations director. Like, you know, got a good job. My husband took a night job throwing freight at a grocery store here locally for about a year and a half. But he, he was working on this job. He was doing throwing freight at night, like overnight, and working 50-plus hours, sometimes 60, sometimes 70 hours a week. And he picked up this shift. To make the money to pay for massive speech therapy. Wow. While he was doing that job at night, he, there was a guy there working with him. He has a daughter with a um, cerebral palsy diagnosis, and she was just three at the time. And he had just casually mentioned to another person that wasn't working with Zach that he was waiting to get his Katie Beckett approval. Um, and Zach goes, What's Katie Beckett? And he's like, well, it's a program through Medicaid and this, they help pay for these, you know, with her diagnosis, that helps pay for, um, you know, these therapies and stuff that she needs. And he's like, well, oh, it's like Medicaid, you know, we wouldn't qualify because we make too much money. He's like, no, Katie Beckett is not based off of your income, as we all know. And he's like, whoa, okay, well, I'm going to have to look into that. <laughs> he came home, told me, I was like, all right. So I contacted my DBA, who we had now formed a relationship, sorry, 
no, I didn't even contact the DBA. I just contacted, I think, health and welfare. Yeah. I honestly, I couldn't tell you. I was just random. Contacted somebody in Idaho, for, you know, state of Idaho. Um, they said, have you been put into infant toddler? And I said, I don't even know what that is. So then they set up infant toddler for me. Wow. Um, then at that point, we were having, they did all the testing and they, you know, the, with the behind the glass where they're testing him and all these, all these tests and determined that he was on the spectrum and, um, needing speech therapy, OT, probably PT and all these things. And I was like, so overwhelmed. So then we decided to, we got the, you know, they, they were in our home once a week doing, gosh, she was amazing. This lady that we had, her name was Jody. Jody or, or Josie? I think it was Jody. Shout I will never, right? Shout out to Jody. I know that she, now at least she works in Washington now because we were one of her last clients before she left us. But we only had her for about six months because at, by the time we had figured all this out, he was two and a half. Wow. So we had, waste, we had wasted, you know, a year of, you know, pediatrician is saying nobody said anything. And then infant toddler, she walked me through that entire process. And I mean, paperwork, everything to get him into developmental preschool by the time he hit three. So he aged out of infant toddler. And I said, when this lady left my house, I bawled my eyes out because she helped me to speak math. You know, like how to help him, how to, how to, you know, help him communicate and, and bring on, maybe bring on some speech or something, you know, and my gosh, the woman was amazing. And I, to this day, if I could see her, I would hug her a thousand times. And so then when Benjamin was, you know, getting a little older, he was my co-author. We had a, Jody came over with one of her last sessions and she had brought an intern with her and Ben was walking on his toes. And this intern looks at me and she goes, you know, he's autistic too. And I was like, okay, like I'm already in this world of of trying to help Max. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, he walks on his toes. I'm like, what does that mean? I just thought it was this little quirky thing that he did where he walked on his toes. She's like, well, you should, you should get him tested too. And I was like, at the time, I was like, get out of my house. Like, you just met me. You're an intern. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear your opinion. Like, I'm already in the fix. Like, get out of, get out of here. And so, Jody left with her intern, and we hugged, and I cried, and she left. And we started developmental preschool, and I put my little three-year-old on a bus, and we went to developmental preschool. Um, he was, he had a rough go with that after the diagnosis. Um, he, he was passed around to four different teachers at the developmental preschool. Oh, wow. They, yeah. And then they said, he doesn't do well with transitions. And I was like, well, probably because you're passing him around to four different teachers and you're moving around. And you want to know the reason why they moved him around so much? Why? Because he could see the playground. And he wanted to go play. Oh, I'm sorry. And they're like, we have, to, we have to put him in a room where he can't see the playground. I'm like, oh, okay. So then I go to my very first parent-teacher conference. 
ever in my life as a mom. And this lady was wretched. She had nothing nice to say about my son. She said, well, he's not violent with the children, and but he doesn't like to wear his shoes. It's okay, well, how is he doing academically? <laughs> is he doing it? Well, he doesn't want to sit still. And it was like every negative thing you could focus on on a preschooler, like, just think about it. Like, what preschooler wants to sit still? One. Two, um, wants to wear shoes most of the time. <laughs> None of mine did. Three, doesn't want to be outside playing. Um, and also, you know, learning about himself and his, you know, what, how his body works, how his mind works. And, 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 and this lady just saw nothing but the, like, all the difficult qualities about him, which is pretty typical of a lot of preschoolers. Um, yeah, she didn't come from a strength-based perspective, did she? No, definitely, definitely not a strength-based perspective. I left that meeting in total tears, thinking, did I make the right choice for my son to put him in the school? My husband and I, I was now at this point uh, pregnant with my third son, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do any of this? Um, so I kept him in, the next year was a little bit better for developmental preschool. And then we had our very first IEP meeting because he was going to be, you know, he's in that process. And gosh, I still to this day, I can close my eyes and see. And it's actually in a building here where I worked in a nonprofit like years later. And I still hate being in that room. Um, it was an, that experience was, was a project in itself because I didn't even know what that meeting was going to look like. Um, like I said, all these people who are now helping me in this world didn't even mention Idaho Parents Unlimited, didn't mention any type of support whatsoever in that regard. So I didn't even know going into this meeting what to even expect. And I was overwhelmed to say the least. Um, one, they had me, you know, there's like pictures where they show you like all these people across the table and then you're sitting in this little chair, like all by yourself, like in a room. There's like a cartoon that we used to use it in a training a long time ago. An ISIL training. It was in an IEP training a long time ago. And it's this little cartoon image of all these people who know, quote unquote, know your child. And then there's you sitting across the table. And that's how it feels in this IEP meeting. Right. And you even have me sit in, like, in, in a, like a baby chair. In a tiny chair. <laughs> Shivering. I'm, I'm sitting in this tiny chair. And they're all sitting around me. And so the speech therapist is like, okay, he's got this need, this need, this need. And the OT is like, oh, yeah, he needs this, this, and this. And then the school psych was like, oh, you know, here's all the testing data. And then the gen ed teacher was like, oh, here's all this. And what he's not doing. And uh, no strength based whatsoever. Except that sweet little OT, which I'll come back to that later. <laughs> OT's amazing. Um, but she was incredibly focused on all the things he could do. And I still, to this day, 10 years later, appreciate that conversation. So I left that feeling totally gutted and winded. Um, so by the time he hit three, we were ready to go. You know, he was doing all that stuff for, uh, we had the IEP, everything was going good. Um, my second son was going to preschool at a preschool that was connected to our DDA. 
it was downstairs. And I figured since I was going to be spending all this time at this BBA doing habilitative intervention, I might as well be able to pick these kids up at the same time and drop them <laughs> off at the same place. And it was actually quite, uh, it was great because they were kind of owned by the same people. So I knew everybody and it was, it was delightful. But he started, um, his speech, my second oldest, it was his speech that they were concerned with. He was doing a lot of scripting, um, which is now in Echoalia, which is where they will memorize things from movies or TV shows or clips from, you know, even in day-to-day life. And he'll memorize them and then he'll kind of put them back into conversation or um, for him, he's always done it in correct context. Like he'll say something from a movie, even at age three and a half, four and a half is when he started to, four and a half is when he started, he started this whole process. And he would just, it sounded like jibber jabber. Like he just, all of a sudden he would say, and then he'd say, to the car we go. And it was just this line from this movie he had seen. I was like, yeah, to the car we go. Like just thinking like, he was, this is what he's doing. Like, this is how he talks. Like, I was just like, he's talking, therefore he's not autistic. Because the only thing I had oh. ever known about autism was that, oh, he's not talking. So that means he's autistic. Because again, nobody had told me anything or given me any information in every research I was doing. It was, you know, books and online about nonverbal autistic children. Yeah. And so I was like, he's talking. We're, we're good, right? Like, I don't need to worry about any other testing and things like that. Right. Like, he's so. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. He's talking. Yay. Um, so then this sweet little preschool teacher who apparently has never had a complaint from any parent whatsoever, she decided to come at me and say, Benjamin is needing some major help. I can't do it for him. And he's a disruption in my class. So of course I contact the preschool, the director, and I'm like, look, this teacher is not nice to my son. And I was already in like, like I said, finding solutions. And I was, I would say I was in a fight or flight almost all the time, just trying to figure out how to help my children. Um, and <laughs> This director of this preschool goes, nobody has ever complained about this preschool teacher ever. So we're going to sit down and have a meeting and discuss. <laughs> and I was like, she's terrible. And she talks bad about my son. And I was honestly in denial at this point that Benjamin needed help like Matthew did. And I lived in that headspace for a long time with his diagnosis. Um, I think I was just, I was in it with Max and I was focused on his treatment plan and his care and what he needed. I'm like, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know. Can I have two kids with autism? Can I do all these therapies? And this was probably coming from the space that, you know, well, my oldest is presenting this way and my second isn't doing that. And, you know. All autistic people probably only act this one way versus what we know now is, you know, you've met one person with autism. You've met one person with autism, right? (laughs) Exactly. And so we had this meeting and she's like, look, you know, we're having some major concerns with him. And so I called the 
the director and the owner of the DDA, which is right upstairs. And I'm bawling to her. And I've known her for about a year at this point. She knows me. She knows, you know, our whole family. Um, and she's like, oh, no, she's like, he, let's, let me do an observation on him. Let me do an observation and we'll go from there. And she was just, she's wonderful. She's still wonderful. And I love her so much. Um, and so she does an observation within that next week. And she comes back to me and she's like, I'm seeing some things that I'm a little concerned about. So I think it would be good if we put him on the schedule and maybe just get him started with some intervention services. And I just lost it. So I'm, I'm like in the parking lot. I remember my sweet little HI who had been with Max for that first year. And I'm just like, how do I do this? How do I, how do I know what to do? How, where, I can't do this for two kids with this new little baby. How do I do this? And she looks at me and she says, you already know what to do. You already know the people. You already know the system. That is the gift in this. So one step at a time and let's go from there. And I was like, okay, one step at a time, one checkbox at a time. And so I set up, uh, I didn't do Katie Beckett at all. I just went through insurance to go get him tested. So I went, um, I didn't do any of that with him because he had already been aged out of infant toddler and all that. So I was like, let's just go straight to our local, um, you know, uh, psychology, you know, office where they do diagnosing, testing and stuff. And we'll just go there. Well, the testing cost, $800. Oh gosh. And nobody was going to pay for it. Insurance. No, it's all out of pocket. And she said, well, if he, if he gets the diagnosis and he gets, um, you through the Katie Beckett process and it's within that three month period, you can be reimbursed. Um, so we did the testing, found that money somewhere. I don't even know. I look back on it now. I'm like, Oh my God, I don't even know where that money came from. Um, Paid it, you know, did the testing. Of course, she came back and said, I, you know, he's on the spectrum. I'm like, okay. One checkbox at a time. So we got him set up with the BDA. I was taking the boys, you know, together with my new little baby, like strapped onto my body. Doing, at the time, we were still doing family training, which was, I mean, we were doing... I, c- I couldn't tell you how many hours a week of habilitative intervention and family training. Cause you had with, you had to do family training when it came to, um, I think it was with traditional Katie Beckett families. Like you had to do FT, um, a certain number of hours. And so I had to be there during their sessions for a certain number of hours per week. So I couldn't even leave. So I'm like in it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, my, I live there. Like, I'm like always there learning how to, the steps of the PEC system, you know, the picture exchange um, communication system, which is pictures used to communicate. And that's where we were with both boys, honestly, with Ben with his speech, his delay speech, and Matthew with his, you know, nonverbal stuff. And so we were working on that together. And like I said, I was overwhelmed and in it. And but I, I I could not have done it without the support of that DBA. And still to this day, they're one of my first calls if I have 
you know, uh, there's a behavior, something that's new for us, like, give me some solutions, maybe we can work on this. And OT and speech, so we, we then, you know, Ben and Matt are both OT, speech therapy, uh, PT. Um, we were in doctor's offices doing sleep testing because uh, Maximus was not sleeping, like, at all. Yeah. I could not get him to sleep. It's like melatonin did the exact opposite, which we come to find out actually does for autistic brains. Um, it can do the exact opposite. It can make him stay awake versus going to sleep. So yeah, that that was that was the diagnosis process kind of for both boys all rolled into a lump somewhere. <laughs> uh, and these are your two boys who are really close in age too, right? Yeah, so they're only a year apart. Max was born in September of 11, and Ben was born October of uh, 2012. So within that, they're very close in age, like a year and two weeks apart. He's about two and a half younger, years younger than my middle son. Uh, like I said, he came everywhere with us. Like he is, like all these offices, like were his playroom. Like they knew him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since he was like a newborn, I mean, our intake with Maximus for the BDA up here, I was holding him, feeding him, and he had this huge diaper blowout. And our sweet, the sweet lady, the owner of our BDA, he exploded all over me. And we had the best laugh. Like, oh, oh. my gosh, to this day, she still, still laugh about it just because we were just, I was crying. She was doing this paperwork. And then... Samuel just like explodes on me everywhere. And I'm like, this is my life. This is my life right now. Just everything all at once. Like just everything. You just um, look up at the ceiling like anything else? Anybody? <laughs> yeah. Well, I you know, before that, I remember I remember talking to my case manager with uh, Health and Welfare. And when Maxie, when I was trying to pick a DDA. And she gave me, the, you know, they give you these lists. Right. And they're like, you need to make phone calls and call these places and, you know, find the one that works best for you. And I remember her name was Carrie. And I said, Carrie, she doesn't work there now. And I said, I said, Carrie, I'm super pregnant at this point. Like I said, this was before we started all this. And I go, which one do I pick? Which one's the best? Yeah. <laughs> I said, this list, I, I don't want to call these places. I, I don't know if I can do this. Like, and she, she looks at, she laughs at me and she goes, <clears throat> and she coughs and says the name of the agency. <laughs> Just someone tell me what to do. And she goes, she's like, she coughs and she says the name and she's like, okay, have a great day. And she hangs up the phone and I call him. And like I said, to this day, that's the one we're at. And that's the one that I have, they've been phenomenal for us. And, um, I am forever grateful. Don't know if they ever listen to this, but I, I know that they would know who they are and they're just, they've, they helped me so much there, especially in those beginning days of diagnosis with both boys. When I was literally on the ground, not knowing what to do and learning how to speak Max and Ben, that's kind of what I say when I'm, because our, the neurodiverse, you know, diversity and how the brains work is we're all just so different. And I was right. like, like learning how to speak Max and speak Ben and, and what that, how they can speak to us and communicate with us. Like I, I really did see the beauty in different forms of communication. Sign language opened up to us 
and which I've been doing sign language since I was a kid. Um, my elementary school had this amazing program where we would bring, I always try to figure out how we can do something like this in our schools here in Idaho. Um, we had um, a large group of deaf students at my elementary school. And they had this big, beautiful learning center there. And what the teachers would do is they would send two students from each class every week on a Monday or a Friday, I can't remember. And that class, those students would teach us 10 signs. And then we would take those signs back and teach our entire class the 10 signs. Wow. And so if we were on the play, yeah, so if we were on the playground with our peers and we were wanting to say, you know, like, hi, my name is, and then spell our name or um, no, thank you. Or yes, please. You know, just you know, the basics of communication. Um, we could do that with our peers who were, you know, hard of hearing or deaf or, you know, and it was so beautiful that I fell in love with sign language. And so I, um, and also had a friend whose mother was deaf. And so she knew sign language. And so we would kind of just practice at recess and, before I knew it, I could do the alphabet with both hands, like very quickly. And then we were just doing the basics of sign language. And I, I love it. I love, I love how clear it is. I love and the how, beauty of nonverbal communication. How forward thinking of these educators right. and inclusive to just really, Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. It really is. And I was like, gosh, with, especially with like Max's talking, like, so, you know, after uh, at age four, he started qualifying for um, a talking device that we got through a grant and so with our, our wonderful speech therapist who helped us attain this you know, iPad with a, a talking, we call it the talker. And we kind of joked, I was like, I want it to be a British accent. And she's <laughs> like, I can't do that. <laughs> because one word that Max would say was tomato, but he would say tomato because his favorite show was Peppa Pig. Of course. And so they're, they're British. And so he would say tomato instead of tomato. And so I'm like, can we have it be British? Because I feel like it'll be all my dreams coming true. It's, it's really funny that you say that because my middle child would always ask for his swimming costume. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Oh, and Blue, Bluey right now changes that for us too. Because we want, um, my middle son will call us because he's still, you know, scripting Equalia, you know, he memorizes things. He calls us mummy and, and daddy. <laughs> And mummy, I'm mummy, and we have to go to the market, and which is my favorite thing ever. And um, the grocery cart is a buggy, and I'm like, I love this. <laughs> if this could never <laughs> end. So yeah, with his with Max's talking device, that kind of opened up a, a new world for us too. So we were using, you know, sign language, uh, talking devices, uh, pecs. I mean, everything in my house had a peck on it. Everything. Um, I still have Velcro marks on some of my furniture that, you know, has since been removed, but everything had a picture and a peck with it, everything. So Max would, he would go to the fridge and there'd be all the food ones and he'd pull the peck off and he'd hand it to me. And that was like our early stages of pecs. And honestly, before I knew pecs existed, I took pictures of everything. And when they came to my house to do like, you know, intake or whatever, and she's like, oh, we're using the peck system. And I'm like, what is that? And like, it's a picture of an apple. I just want to know if he wants an apple. So he hands me the picture of an apple. She's like, yeah. She's like, let me explain it. And so she kind of explained what pecs was. I was like, oh, well, we were kind of already doing that. So I guess I know what I'm doing here a little bit. Um, made me feel a little bit better. 
Yeah, necessity um, is the mother of yeah. invention, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so then we were just, you know, living in this world of a son. And I always joke around that my, my two older boys are, what works for one doesn't work for another. Oh, and absolutely. 90, 95%, maybe 98%, 99%, like literally to this day is still... Well, if Max is going to do this, even with medication, this medication might work for Max. Nope, not going to work for Ben. And we try it, doesn't work. And like, I swear to you, it is not just this, this thing I made up. Like it, even with food, Ben loves crunchy snacks, which, you know, with OT stuff, we know is a form of sensory input for his mouth. Max hates crunchy things, has never touched a chip in his life. Yeah, I... Max, here's this one instance, like Max loves pizza. Uh, food has always been a, you know, struggle, but pizza is his jam. Any kind of bread, Max likes the crust. Ben does not. So what they would do is they would eat their pizza and they would swap plates. Oh. And finish, finish each other's meals. So we, we've been in this a long time now. Like I said, my oldest is 11. My, he's, Ben is 10. They'll be 12 and 11 this coming fall. Their, their diagnosis process for both of them was, like I said, which one was a little easier than the other. Ben, we had to, we didn't go through the infant toddler route because he was diagnosed later. So we did the testing and had to pay out of pocket. And I lived in, like I said, I, I really do want to talk about that second diagnosis for that second child. When it was so close together, I lived in a, I struggled, and plus I was having postpartum depression with my youngest. I was, I needed help. I, not mental help. Like I needed, like my mental health was struggling. And it wasn't because these systems weren't working or I I was just, I was living, I was a robot. I felt like Groundhog Day. Yeah, we were scheduled to a T. I felt like my life wasn't my own. Yeah. I, you know, I knew that motherhood was going to take parts of me and turn me into this person that I had never been before. And I was prepared for that. I, this was all I ever knew being a mother was this life. Like, you know, I would go to the park and I'd see families just enjoying days at the park. And I'm like, nope, got to go to HI, OT, PT, speech, like is you know, and then there'd be days when things would get canceled. And I started seeing the beauty in cancellation. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Either a speech therapist would get, you know, oh, I can't come in today or something came up or OT or, or you know, a, a staff member after a DDA. Oh, they can't make it in today. And at first it's like, oh, okay, like, you know, one more thing. And I go, nope, that's great. Awesome. Enjoy your day. We're going to the park. We're going to the beach. We're taking a day off to do nothing. And I still, to this day, when we have cancellations or we need to cancel ourselves, like sometimes I will cancel when I need a mental health day, when I feel like they need it. Um, And I started to see the beauty in breaks and just allowing my kids to just be kids. So I started scheduling breaks on therapies altogether over Christmas break where we take two full weeks off, spring break, completely off, and summer break. I try to, if I can right now, you know, wait with 
are long and we have a couple of therapists who are like, if you take, if we get off the list, like you have to start back over and we'll have to put oh, you on a wait list. Yeah. Which is awful. Um, when you just want to take a couple months off during the summer, you know, you feel like you're being it's penalized. Like, it, it is. It's true. And I have this the one speech therapist that's been with us since the beginning. She's been with Max for, well, now it's been close to a decade. Sorry. It wasn't the first initial therapist because the one who charged 140 that was a totally different center um she when I met that first therapist I thought that I was like she was blowing bubbles with Max and just wanting him to say pop and I was like I'm paying 145 dollars for a 30 minute session for him to blow bubbles with you like when you're looking for functional communication (laughs) yeah and so when we found our speech therapist now which was it was after we got the Katie Beckett stuff all done and everything. Um, like I said, we've been with her since eight years. She started actually, you know, it. I saw a difference. So that's another another thing. If if you don't like the way a session is going with, it's like try not to feel this is your only person. There's there's more people out there, and and they're out there. You just you might be on a wait list for a while, but yes, you can thank you for those, saying that those good people. And, and honestly, a lot of the families that I help now, they'll call and they say, which, which list, which place do I put them on? Like put them on all the lists. Yes. Put them on all the lists now because the wait lists are just every place has a wait list. We didn't have that when we started out and, you know, thank goodness. But now it's like, gosh, the DDA, it's like a year and a half, two years. We were very fortunate to be at a time when we didn't have those. And like I said, we were able to get both my boys in and my, we just ended our, you know, school year session with Max's speech therapist. And she's like, we'll see you in the fall. I'm like, peace out. Wow. <laughs> One more appointment I don't have to go to this week. And she's been phenomenal with that. And I'm super grateful for her perspective on that because she gets it. She understands. She's like, absolutely take a break. Because when he comes back, there's a difference. And these kiddos, they need those breaks just like we all do. We need vacations. They're we people too, right? Time. Yeah, we need time. And so I, I really found the beauty in those. And I take advantage of those those days and those moments. And like I said, cancellations. I'm like, woohoo, let's go to the park. <laughs> we're, we're gone. Like- Hello out there, podcast land. We are going to pause this story right here and come back in a later episode. Please stick with this because Kate has so much more information to give and a lot of good, helpful tips and tricks. So come back next time to hear the finale of Kate's fantastic story.